Eagles Entertainment. Eagle Eye in the Sky is fueled by Gatorade, the official sports drink of the Philadelphia Eagles. Everything that moves, I don't care who it is. Let's go. Give me everything you got. Play fast, play hard. Let's beat these boys tonight in their house. It's party time. It's party time. Let's go. You are listening to the Eagle Eye in the Sky podcast. Now here's your host, Fran Duffy. That's right of the week, and we're looking into the Colts passing game today as the Eagle Eye in the Sky podcast, fueled by Gatorade, continues. I'm Fran Duffy, and as always, I think we've got a great show for you here on episode number 306. At the top of this week's show, we've got Scouting Report, where I chat with my friend Ben Fennell about the pass game of the Indianapolis Colts this past season in 2020. With the Eagles hiring Nick Sirianni as their new head coach, we thought it would be fun to take a close look at what they did that worked so well this fall. So, Ben and I separately went and watched all of their past completions of 20-plus yards this year. What are the themes that showed up? What stood out philosophically and schematically? We'll talk all about it at the top of the show. Before we get there, though, just a couple things I wanted to make sure that we hit on once again. Number one, I ask you each week to go over to our Apple Podcast page, leave us a rating, and leave us a review. And so I'm going to do it again. Not only does it help us out in making the show more visible to other podcast listeners, but it also helps us being able to answer your questions. So if you've got a topic you want us to hit on, if you've got a player you want us to evaluate here for scouting report, a specific play or a concept you want broken down, any kind of scheme or uh, a theme around player evaluation, the draft, free agency coming up, you name it, we'll answer it right here on the show. I appreciate everybody who has already done so. You guys are the best. Really, really allows us to keep this show rolling twice a week through the entire calendar year. Also, if you enjoy my conversations with Ben every single week here on the Eagle Eye in the Sky podcast, then make sure you go and subscribe to the Journey to the Draft podcast. It is Senior Bowl week. I'm doing daily episodes this week covering the entire event, exclusive interviews, analysis on a daily basis. You don't want to miss any of that. So make sure you go check us out on the Journey to the Draft podcast wherever podcasts can be found. That being said, let's get to this episode here with Ben Fennell. It's time now for Scouting Report. Dim those lights. We're headed to the film room for the Scouting Report. Well, excited now for this edition of Scouting Report as I welcome in my friend Ben Fennell. Ben, uh, our task this week, we alluded to it last week. I said, all right, look, we're going to wait a little bit. Let's let the uh, the, the coaching search kind of come to a conclusion. Then we'll decide which direction we're going to go. So obviously, we got the news late last week that the Eagles were going to make the hire. They were going to hire Nick Sirianni, the offensive coordinator from the Colts, to be the new Eagles head coach. That determined which way we're going to go this week with Scouting Report. So our homework this week, watch all of the 20-plus yard pass plays from the Colts this season. It was 50 plays total. And I'll ask you the same question I asked you last week. What was your strategy going in? Was there something, you know, what did you have like kind of a fine focus? Did you keep in a lot of, you know, keep a lot of things in your mind? Uh, what was the, on your, you know, on your, uh, on your mind going into this one? Well, I kind of go in with the philosophy of not having a philosophy. Hmm. I want to just kind of go in with a blank slate and see what the tape says to me and go in with no agenda and just see, see what I see. And I think I like the kind of clean slate, no real agenda going into it, but I obviously have some preconceived notions about the offense, about Phillip rivers, what to expect. And I was really excited to see explosive designed football, a lot of in structure football on time football. And you know how much that excites me with all these young running around quarterbacks, making plays out of structure. And then you still have all these wily old vets, the Drew Breeses, the Tom Brady's, the Philip Rivers of the world that can generate explosive plays from the pocket on time in rhythm within structure. And that is absolutely beautiful. 
Well, two of those three names you just uh, you just said have already announced that they're going to retire. So it'll be uh, interesting <laughs> to see who takes up that new guard uh, in terms of. Hey, there's a lot of there's a lot of young running quarterbacks. There's yep. not a lot of old ones, right. and there's there's a reason for that. <laughs> I like that. I like that quote a lot. Um, so for me. You know, obviously, I've I've done a decent amount of research. If you for lo- those listening at home, you've heard the conversations that I've had with Greg Cosell, with Robert Mays earlier this week on the show. If you haven't yet, make sure you go back and listen to those uh, on the feed. Had an idea of what I was getting into when I sat down and watched all these plays. So, with that in mind, knowing that it's a big yards after catch offense, I wanted to just look at the different ways that they were able to create opportunities for those guys to get some yards after catch. That, that was kind of my big thing going in: is how are they able to create so many of these big explosive plays. Now, before we kind of get into our big takeaways, I want to ask you first, right off the bat, is there a stat or two that kind of stood stood out to you, whether it was, you know, research that you did going in or, you know, anything you charted while you were watching the film? Is there a number that comes to mind when I ask you about a stat having to do with this Colts passing game? Yeah, a couple different directions. First of all, it's a respect and a uh, appreciation for this offense. Yeah. They generated the second most 10-yard plays in the NFL. This is the team that was able to generate chunk plays through the run and the pass consistently. I know we're looking at 20-yard plays. They had the six most 20-yard plays. Yep. So this is the team that was obviously able to generate explosive chunk plays. And the interesting thing is they're in the middle of the pack in a lot of metrics. And I think that really speaks to the multi, you know, the multiplicity and the versatility of a lot of their skill players and their offensive design and intent. And when you look at some of the things that they didn't do to generate some of these plays, really nothing out of structure, minimal empty, minimal play action, 27th in the league in play action, 20th in RPOs, 29th in bunches, 24th in shifts and motions. So all those kind of new age schematic elements that you're seeing across college football now into Sundays to help the offense generate chunk plays to confuse defenses really weren't focal aspects of this Colts offense. Mm. And I think that was really interesting to see a quarterback playing within structure of the offense from the pocket without a lot of these kind of schematic elements mixed in. Um, There certainly are schematic elements, but I'm talking about the, the buzzword ones that are all over the league and taking over the Shanahan, McVay, LaFleur systems, all that RPO and play action stuff. And just when the league is zigging, you know, the Colts kind of zagged and there's some really interesting zags uh, and schemes within that to talk about. Yeah. And that's what, honestly, you know, I, I shared the stat, um, you know, earlier in the week when I had my conversation with Robert Mays, but uh, you know, this is a, an offense where, or I shouldn't even say this is an offense, but when you look at Nick Sirianni's uh, career over the last five seasons, right? So three years in Indianapolis, two years before that with the chargers. So the five last five teams that he's been a part of, you know, yards after catch a huge, huge part of those schemes, three out of those five years, the, the offense finished in the top 10 in yards after catch four of the five, they cracked the, uh, the, the top 15, but they did that without cracking the top 10 in forced missed tackles on all but one year. So what, the, what does that mean? It means that it's not like, oh, they were getting yards after catch because uh, they had just guys that were great with the ball in their hands that consistently made people miss. You're going to have some of that, but the scheme was able to work those guys open. And as I alluded to, that was something that I was really excited about kind of coming in. And, uh, you know, when you look at that offense, obviously if you're going to create lots, lots of yards after catch, 
you know, you're not going to have a lot of deep pass attempts. You're not going to, it's not a, a high volume, throw the football, uh, you know, 50 yards downfield kind of offense. But that being said, kind of like what you alluded to, not a lot of screens, not a lot of RPOs, not a lot of the, you know, the jet motion stuff where you're going to throw a quick pass uh, into the flat and those kinds of things. They're finding different ways to be able to get this, to get the receivers, the ball on the run. And I thought uh, that was one big thing, just looking at it from a number standpoint that stood out to me. And then just charting the, the, those 50 plays, two things stood out. 41 of the 50 came out of 11 personnel. So while we talk about, hey, 12 personnel, you know, this is a, an offense that, um, you know, they're going to use 12 personnel. They're consistently in the top half of the league using two tight ends. A lot of their big plays came out of uh, the, the, the 11 personnel, the three receiver sets. So what does that tell me? 12 personnel run game, a big part of what they do. And I think that that certainly, uh, we, you know, will come into play here with the Eagles. But then the other thing that stood out, we talk about, look, they were, they finished, you said it, you said it, 27th in motion uh, over the course of this season, this past year. But 22 of their 50 uh, uh, biggest plays came with some kind of motion. So what does that tell me? It tells me that, hey, some of the, when they use motion, they use it really effectively. They find ways to be able to get the quarterback information, and it leads uh, to some big plays. So while maybe the motion isn't quite there from a volume standpoint, they're really efficient with their use of it. I know we talked about that uh, when we were doing the study of the Arizona Cardinals offense uh, as well. Was hey, you know, they're not really high up there in terms of pre-snap motion, but a lot of their big plays come when they use it. They're really good when they do use it. You know, just to take a step back here for a second, when you're just looking at collective explosive plays, chunk yeah. plays. I had mentioned before the Colts were second uh, in the NFL in generating 10-yard plays. 10-yard plays are good chunks. Number one was the Chiefs. And I love just the to put into fans' perspectives, Andy Reid, Patrick, Mahom- Patrick Mahomes, Kansas City Chiefs offense, and Frank Reich, Phillip Rivers, and the Colts offense. And while we're talking about this Colts offense, and I know I said the lack of play action and RPOs and bunches and shifts. It's not a negative at the aspect of them not using it. And a lot of those things, the chiefs are using the chiefs. Also a lot of yak, a lot of RPOs. They get things out of structure with Mahomes, Phillip rivers in structure. Long story short, there's different ways to generate good offense. So me saying, Hey, they don't use RPO and they don't use a bunch of shifts right or way. I think when you look at the two teams that are the most efficient or, you know, just talking about the Colts and the Chiefs and generating the chunk plays, they do it completely different. Yep. And that's okay. So for everybody that wants to point to an offense on Sunday and say, why aren't we doing X, Y, and Z? A, B, and C can still work. And I think it's a really interesting study to say people like to point to the Eagles offense and say, how come everybody else is doing this, this, and that, and we're doing this, this, and this. This, this, and this can work too if done properly. Right. And I love seeing the Colts offense in that the rest of the league's going one way, the Colts are going this way, and it still works. Yep. So I just love the fact that there's different ways to be an effective, efficient, and dangerous offense. And I just love uh, the way the Colts kind of generate that. And I think that's well said. So uh, before we get into our five burning questions, I want to ask you, what's the biggest takeaway for you after watching these 50 plays? What, what was the big thing that you walked away saying? Like, all right, this is uh, in terms of like what the identity is of this scheme, or at least of the, the 50 plays that you watched. Uh, what was your biggest takeaway? Well, I think there's such a conversation right now around, can you even draft a quarterback 
that has no mobility, that has no ability to create out of structure, it's the NFL. Things are going to break down. Things go wrong. Your left guard's going to get his foot stepped on and, and face plant. The fact that they can create all these plays in structure, in rhythm, and not do anything breaking the pocket, Phillip Rivers buying time, scrambling, improvisationally, I think is amazing. And I love seeing the quarterback position played properly as a pocket-passing distributor first and foremost. And that's line number one on the job description. You don't rely on improvisational answers when there are in-structure answers. And I just think too many young quarterbacks rely on that. So obviously we're talking about Phillip Rivers, one of the more veteran Wiley quarterbacks in the league. But the fact they generated 99% of these big plays in structure, in rhythm, I think it's just it's just really amazing uh, to look at the quarterback position. That's something I'm actually going to hit on uh, a little bit later in the show. So um, looking at our and, five- and, and really quick, Fran, that also speaks to how they generate some of these concepts. So you talked about yards after catch. There's some screen elements mixed into the yards after catch, which are designed opportunities. There's some aspects of yards after catch that are Phillip Rivers based in getting to his check down, you know, incredibly fast. Alvin Kamara has a hundred targets. I got news for you guys. 80, 80 of those are right. checkdowns that right. breeze gets to him on time, allows him to catch it, look up field and make a guy miss. And next thing you know, Alvin Kamara has got a hundred catches for a thousand yards and he's viewed as one of the most you know incredible dual threat backs in the NFL. A lot of that has to do with the quarterback's ability to get to that check down on time accurately. And that's what Rivers kind of did as well to help a lot of these guys get those chunk yak plays. So the, you know, I told you my, my mindset coming in was like, right, what, what do they do to uh, create those yak plays to create those chunk plays? And, and I think, look, uh, you know, I talked earlier with Greg and with Robert about the high, low reads, a lot of stuff in the middle of the field where they're just putting defenders in binds. What I love about this offense is that they are consistently stressing defenders. I and mean, whether it's a high, low read, which that's a vertical stretch, right? You've got a route behind you, a route below you. It's not just throw deep. It's oh, wow, there's there's things happening behind me and in front of me as a defender that I have to worry about. That is a vertical stretch. But then also, you've got the horizontal stresses. I feel like they do such a great job of utilizing all 53 and a third yards across the width of the field to really kind of put defenders in binds and say, man, like I've got to defend this route to the sideline. Or, hey, this is a really tight split from this receiver or from this tight end. There's a lot of grass outside of me. I've got a lot of ground, a lot of real estate that I've got to be able to cover. That's putting a lot of stress on de- on uh, on defenders. And so I feel like that was my one big takeaway is that they did a really good job throughout the course of the season of being able to put stress on defenders in lots of different ways. Part of that's on how they line up from a formation standpoint and then also just how these routes deploy. So uh, we can kind of get into that. Now, the first thing I've got for you, my first burning question what one thing did you love most about the scheme? We got the thing, you know, the, your big takeaway, but what did you love most about the scheme? It seemed like the personnel personality all was the same. Mm. There weren't a whole lot of finesse players on the field. You know, I know we, we look at T.Y. Hilton's stature, but outside of that, Jonathan Taylor, Naheem Hines, Zach Pascal, Michael Pittman, the tight ends, Quentin Nelson, Rivers, this is a buckle your chin strap type of offense. So I've got, and I've got, a, I've got a word for this. It's one word, and it's not a, it's not a like I'm not like breaking news here. That's identity. I love that, right? Like that's that, that that's not just an X and O thing, but that is a a feel uh, that you get from watching a team. You're like, yeah, like that that comes through the screen when you're watching that team play. 
No question. And you see it in a, in a variety of aspects, whether it's, you know, run blocking, you know, uh, blocking on the perimeter for, for those yak opportunities, getting off press coverage, winning at the top of routes, winning at the catch point, you know, just straight run blocking in the trenches with the O-line. It's infectious and they clearly have a style and a personality that they want to be out on the field. And I think that comes through through that receiver position so much. Uh, and, and, you know, the way we talk about Pascal and Pittman and their blocking ability, the size, the toughness, the play personality, their play temperament, you feel it, you see it when they break the huddle. Um, and I just love that. And, you know, I, I just use the word finesse. Um, you know, there's a place for finesse players in the NFL, certainly, but the Colts don't seem to feel a lot of those. Mm. And I really just love the style and the feel, uh, after watching their tape. So uh, for me, the one thing that I love most, and you, you know that I, I've got a soft spot for plays that are like this, but I thought that the timing of the drops married so well with their past concepts across the board. And so, you know, when Phillip Rivers hits the top of his drop, there's an answer. He, hey, this is a, it's a clear, defined read for the quarterback. Okay, now he takes his first stage. Maybe that, maybe that first progression is not there. All right, well, now what? Now what? I'm going to hitch up to the pocket. What's my second read? Oh, that route's about to break open. And if that's covered, okay, here's my next one. Here's my next one. There's not a lot of projection there in terms of what the quarterback is being asked to do on any given play. If something's happening on the left side of the field, he's going to start to his left and work from left to right in time with all the different routes. Everything's breaking together in concert. And I thought that that showed up numerous times. And it was just really, really good to see. And it's something, honestly, when you look at some of the offense, the past games that struggle around the NFL, you look at the quarterback when he hits the top of his drop and say, what is he, where, where is he going to go with the football? And what does that look like? What does that picture look like for him at this point? All right, now I'll fast forward another half second. Now what does it look like? Is, this, is it clear yet? No. Okay, well, why isn't it clear? Or what, what are the options that are breaking open for him? I feel like that's something that you saw a lot from this offense that uh, really kind of attracts me. And other, honestly, that takes me to my second question, and I'll just kind of jump in with mine. Is there one play that best encapsulates what we saw? And I, I feel like towards what I'm talking about here, a great example for those of you guys that uh, went and watched all the game pass footage of, of all these plays, there was a 45-yard completion uh, against the Jets. This was back in week three, and this went to uh, Mo Alley-Cox, where basically it's a, it's a three-by-one set, and this is a blitz by, by, uh, by, the, by the New York Jets. They're, they're sending a corner pressure. you got two corners coming off the edge. You've got defensive tackles dropping in the middle of the field. It's actually a blitz that the Eagles ran a decent about uh, this past season. But Phillip Rivers drops back, and he's hoping to hit a little slant to the left. He's hoping that, that hey, it's a, it's a blitz. That's my hot route. That's where I'm going to go with the football but it's not there. So he's getting from his isolation route side. Now he's working back to the three receiver side and they had a little high, low concept, perfect timing where Rivers is able to step up into the teeth of the rush and deliver this football to an in-breaking route. And guess what? That pass was caught right at the sticks, just beyond the sticks. It goes for 45 yards to a tight end because guess what? He's hitting them on the run. There's lots of space. Everything is everything is deployed evenly. There's, there's not uh, you know guys running into the same area of the field. It's just a really well-spaced offense, and the timing was perfect on that play. I thought that when you look at uh, the structure overall of these concepts, that showed up time and time and time again. 
Yeah, absolutely. I thought that was a really good play. I'm going to go with this 21-yard touchdown from T.Y. Hilton against the Texans. Ah, it's a great one. And we were, we were watching this one kind of together the other day. And uh, Really interesting concept. They're just outside the red zone here in the Houston 21-yard line. It's third and six. They're in cover one robber. They have a low hole player to take away the inbreakers. They have a bunch to the left. T.Y. Hilton is the lone receiver in three-by-one. Essentially, T.Y. Hilton is going to break to the left while all those bunch receivers break to the right and create this kind of wall for T.Y. to run underneath. And it's such an easy to find throw for the quarterback. Easy completion. There's three, four yards of separation there on third and six outside the red zone where that's third and medium, third and long against the Texans. They should be dialing up some sort of exotic pressure. They have J.J. Watt. It's a blitz call up front here. This should stress the offense. And I watched this and I sat back in my chair and just said, Fran, this was so easy. And to see how open he is, how effortless it was to get this ball out and to have a 21-yard touchdown so effortlessly, that's what the Colts designed. And this aspect here was obviously taking advantage of the horizontal action with T.Y. Hilton, creating some natural rubs through that bunch on the other side but a defined read for the quarterback and easy offense. You just see the quarterback friendly aspects built into the design of the pass plays. So let me ask you a question. This will be number three. Last week when we looked at the Green Bay run game, which by the way, if Green Bay had stuck to the run game a little bit more, maybe we'd have a different Super Bowl matchup, by the way. Um, if we went back and we looked at the, all those big runs from the regular season and we said, hey, what was the running back trait that stood out most? We talked about vision. We talked about balance. Looking at this offense, which trait of for the for wide receivers stood out to you most as being important in this scheme? Uh, how, how did you kind of look at that from a big picture standpoint? Yeah, I'm kind of echoing what I said a couple minutes ago. It's just the play strength. As much as I want to say uh, they're physical at the catch point and Pittman has strong hands above the rim and Pascal can block, I'm just going to all encompass that in the play strength. Because as I'm watching this play here go back and forth. There's a tight end and two receivers in this bunch. These bunch receivers must, must, must push up the field vertically against press coverage here. And there's a lot of horizontal concepts, the flanker drive concept, where you have somebody pushing up vertically and a receiver coming quickly underneath that route. That receiver pushing up vertically has to get up vertically. And sometimes there's a corner right in your face. That's play strength in pushing that corner or that defensive back or linebacker or safety up three, four, five yards to do your job to open up for somebody else. These are the little things that make Zach Pascal and Michael Pittman valuable, valuable players to this football team. Mm. It's obviously easy to see the blocking on the perimeter. Sure. We all know that, you know, we see the tough hands. We see the yards after catch. We see them stiff arm defensive backs with the ball in our hands, but the other stuff, the little things away from the ball, doing your job in the route, clearing out your deep vertical and dagger to allow that dig to come underneath you. You know, there's just little aspects of doing your job and being a strong physical player. And just like I echoed the sentiment earlier, there's a lot, not a lot of finesse. That player pushing up vertically cannot be a finesse player. I got news for you. You're not getting the ball. You got to do your job, push that sled up and do your job for somebody else. And you just see the selflessness and the play strength come through so many times when watching these 20-plus yard plays. It was really fun to watch that uh, the skill receiver group. 
to me, it's like that, you know, I've talked about this in the past, you know, being able to play through contact in all areas, I think is so, so important for playing receiver in the NFL. Um, and I think that goes right to your point. Let me share you share with you a conversation that I was having with myself in my head as I was watching this because uh, <laughs> I didn't have anybody else to have this conversation with. Looking at this offense, and I, I thought this while watching the uh, Shanahan style offenses this uh, you know this this season, really going back to last year as well. Obviously, that's an offense where you know we talk about you you mentioned at the top quarterback friendly run game, Mister you know with uh, play action and jet sweeps and all the back all that's a, a very. QB friendly, wide receiver friendly, O-line friendly. If it's friendly for the quarterback, it's friendly for everybody. And we talked about how this offense is very similar. So watching these, these receivers, I kind of go back and forth on what is more important. The route running and the timing. Hey, I need you. It's from, I need you to get here. You're at point A to start. I need you to be at point B at this point in the progression or else the timing is off. So is the route running more important or is the yards after catch more important? Hey, look, we're going to scheme you open. Let's try and make some X plays with the ball in your hands. And I feel like when you look at uh, the two receivers that uh, San Francisco has drafted over the last two years in the, lot, in the top 50, look at they took Brandon Ayuk this past spring back in 2020, and then they took Debo Samuel the year before. Those guys were not refined route runners. Hey, we're going to find ways to get you open. We're going to get the ball into your hands and let you do work. Michael Pittman, not a refined route runner at USC. Ran all of his routes from one side of the field. Wasn't a, a super uh, twitchy guy in and out of breaks. But hey, get the ball in his hands, and this guy is tough to bring down. You talk about the play strength and, and things like that. It, I look at, at that position, I wonder, when you're in an offense that is built like this, where you can scheme guys open, find ways to get them the football, the route running aspect is obviously important, and you need the timing to be right with everybody. So you got to be where you need to be. But at the end of the day, if I get you the ball in your hands, now you have that ability that we're going to turn a 12-yard gain into 25. That's how these chunk plays happen. So if you've got the guys with the high ceiling, it's like plugging Aaron Rodgers in to the, uh, into that kind of system, right? You're taking an elite talent and putting him into a system where you're making things easier. Hey, if I put an elite yards after catch weapon into an offense like this, well, now this, the, the ceiling is through the roof. You know, it's an interesting aspect of it. And the philosophical approach of what you're asking your quarterback to do, what you're asking receivers to do, and what are you doing to help them execute the job or the task. And I think it's a big exercise to say, why do we make some of these jobs and assignments so difficult? Mm. What can we do to help them? Whether it's formationing more space for them or giving them more access into the defense through releases, um, whether it's other route combinations to open up a window for you. There's things you can do uh, to help your players uncover, to help your quarterback have defined easier reads. And I think that quarterback-friendly moniker used to be kind of a negative uh, sentiment, and now it's a, why aren't we doing this to uh, to help yep. our players? Yeah, it's, it's I think it's really, really fun to be able to just watch. And you're seeing these offenses just pro proliferate throughout the league. And you're seeing these concepts and these philosophies and these ideologies all over the place. Everybody's doing everybody, you know, almost everybody's doing it now. So it's just fun to be able to watch. Um, you know, that I think it had a huge part with the offensive uh, surplus that we saw this year, just a huge rise in numbers, especially in the past game, um, you know, this past year, let's take a look at one last question I've got for you before we get um, to uh, what my favorite question. 
Who is the most surprising player from watching this group on film? And I, I know you and I have both watched Indianapolis a little bit. Uh, well, this, you go, you go first here. You go. All first right. Here. So my, mine was a guy that I studied actually a little bit in the early parts of the season, and that's Zach Pascal. Um, not a lot of people know Zach Pascal. He's not a household name. Um, I'll tell you what. He's a big boy. He's a big-bodied receiver. And he's he's a really savvy route runner. He's a dirty work player. He's got good hands. He's not a, a blazer. He's not a guy that's going to wow you in terms of uh, you know what he can do with the ball in his hands. But you know you talked about the different things that he's been asked to do in this scheme. He's a good football player, yeah, and he's a guy that uh, I think you know can play for anybody. I think he's got that scheme versatility. He just doesn't have that high upside. But he's a guy that I don't feel like a lot of people know and give love to. But he deserves it. He, that's a that's a good football player. I would say Zach Pascal is mine. Yeah, that's a good one there. And I'm, I was afraid you were going to take uh, my two players. I couldn't okay. come up with just one. So obviously very impressed with the rookie second-round pick, Jonathan Taylor. We know yeah. what he can do between the tackles. We saw some really impressive pass protection, yep. serious juice in the open field. Getting him on some of those screens, you really see that track speed, that 4-3-3 uh, straight-line speed when he can get a, a head of steam behind him. But Naheem Hines. I think we both are very, very impressed with. And obviously his receiver skill set coming out of NC State, being that slot receiver before they moved him to the backfield, you see that in the offense. When they motion him out and empty, he is a deadly, deadly route runner. He can you know, run slow goes and double moves like receivers out there. If you think a linebacker can cover him, we've, we've seen that go uh, pretty poorly across the league. Wicked angle routes, great hands over the middle of the field. But Taylor and Naheem Hines in combination, just their their hands, their route running ability, their different skill sets, I think give that offense a lot of flexibility. And the first thing you may think of when you're saying Hines, Taylor, receiving ability, they were one of the, I think, the second fewest uh, in the NFL using two-back. Yep. Rarely ever had them both on the field at the same time. But they clearly had a stable of backs. They wanted to work in there. Even the uh, Jordan Wilkins kid is a guy that was heavily involved. Yep. Marlon Mack would have been involved as well. Uh, but, you know, they never really featured these guys all together. So they obviously had an intent of having a variety of backs back there, keeping fresh legs back there, and making sure you always have guys that can contribute in both phases. Uh, I know they had two plays with two back on the field, and both of them, I'm just checking my notes here. Both of them use some kind of pre-snap motion. And what that is exactly what we saw last week, right? When we looked at yep. the Packers in the run game, uh, not a ton of two back stuff, but when they did, there was always that motion. Tyler Irvin was a big movement piece for them. So uh, that kind of speaks to, Hey, when we talk about teams using two backs on the field at one time, what's the benefit to that? Hey, if you've got potential ball carriers, guys that can get the ball in different areas of the field, well, now you're using them as eye candy to help create space for others. And I feel like that's uh, a kind of a good takeaway um, for sure. My next question for you is going to be my favorite one every week. And I already know that I failed on this one because it's something you talked about earlier. Um, but I'll let you go first. What's one thing you think that the uh, you noticed that the other person didn't? So for you, what's one thing that you feel went over my head, but uh, that you were able to kind of lock in on? I was just really impressed with all the lift and replace concepts. I think yeah. it was really fun to watch all the sail, the scissors, the dagger, all the defined reads for Phillip Rivers, knowing where to go with the football and just having these conceptual parting of the seas for routes to kind of open themselves up. I just love having that low stress kind of read on the quarterback and knowing where to go with the football. A lot of that stuff was over the middle of the field that he knows where to go with it, gets it out on time. Um, but just these concepts and these route concepts working together 
to open up another receiver within the same route, I think is really important. And not just having all these disjointed routes where a lot of times we may watch tape together and say, those four routes had no relationship to the other four routes. And a lot of times everything is working together with this offense. It's really fun to watch it kind of uh, in sync and all work, uh, you know, in concert. So uh, for me, it was something that you alluded to earlier, and that's just how often the ball was one thing I charted on every single one of these plays. I charted all 50. And one thing I was looking for in each, every one was when the ball went to the receiver, where was he in the quarterback's progression? As far as what we could tell on film, I got news for you. In terms of how many times it went to the second progression, it's it's single digits out of the fifty plays. I mean, you know, give or take one or two. You assume that I I made some kind of error there on a couple of those, but we'll say between like five, six, seven, something in that neighborhood where it didn't go to the primary receiver. So that's two things. It's it's exactly what you said earlier. That speaks to Philip Rivers, and that speaks to the offense in terms of the structure and being able uh, to create defined throws for the quarterback. But also, you put a lot of that on Rivers as well as being able to execute within that structure. So in projecting this offense to our Philadelphia Eagles, obviously yep. for 2021, everybody's very interested. What about Philip Rivers' involvement in that offense makes you say, don't put too much value in this or that because it was Philip Rivers. And one thing I noted sure. earlier, the out of structure concepts, obviously, as you get older, you play more from the pocket, more within rhythm. As that position gets younger, like a Carson Wentz or Jalen Hurts or whoever at quarterback, Obviously, we'll be creating more out of structure, but the quarterback movement stuff by design, the moving pockets, the play action rollouts, the sprint outs, the play action boot. You didn't really see that in the offense, Mm. but is that a that's what Sirianni and Frank Reich want to do? Or is that a bit of a product of your personnel? So, you know, another one that that stands out to me, RPO quality or quantity. Mm. Yes, yes, yes. So they were 18th in RPOs this year, which obviously that's below average, right, in terms of regard to the NFL. They were 12th a year ago. They were fourth in their first year when they had Andrew Luck. And then you go back to when Sirianni was with the Chargers, and obviously that was Philip Rivers. He was entrenched there. They ran seven RPOs all season long back in 2016. (laughs) uh, And they only ran 21 which was 27th in the league, which is crazy, just thinking about how far uh, the league has come from run pass option usage. Um, But they were 27th in the league in 17. That was obviously the year the Eagles went to the Super Bowl and it was RPO, RPO. Um, But I think that that, again, it speaks to what you're saying. You're trying to do what works best for your quarterback. What does he like to do? Hey, I got uh, more news for you. They were rarely under center in these big plays. It was pretty clear that, hey, Phillip Rivers wanted to be in the shotgun and I want to operate within this nine by nine area. This is where I'm going to be. This is where my launch point's going to come from. Don't don't put me under center and roll me out of the pocket. I don't want to do any of these sprint outs. I'm not doing any of this stuff. Just let me operate from inside this little phone booth and I'm going to be happy. And I feel like that's uh, a big part of the reason why the offense was structured the way that it was. How does it change when you've got a different guy there? I think we saw that with the evolution of the usage from 18 to 19 to 20. You know, and I think... uh the the bottom line sentiment of that should be Frank Reich and Nick Sirianni's ability to adapt to your personnel. Yes. And that should be the takeaway. Yep. Not so much a, oh, they're not going to move the quarterback in Philly. No, they're going to adapt to their personnel. Yep. And that should excite Philadelphia Eagles fans to say, you know what? We don't have everything the Colts had. They don't have everything that we have. But are you going to force square pegs down round holes? Are you going to make that offense a little bit more square peg for that hole to fit into? And I see a lot more 
adaptation to the skill set of the players and the the style of players. And that excites me in that, you know what, we're hoping to put players in positions to be successful. It may be a year, two years to get the right type of play players and personality and types you want moving forward. But making sure you you have the existing guys in a feasible role and a skill set that they can handle and not asking them to do X, Y, and Z when they specialize in ABC, that should excite uh, Eagles fans. So while there's some things that Philip Rivers specializes in and he has a right to say, no, 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 I don't like that at 15 years or whatever he is in the league, it's going to change in Philadelphia. And it's not so much a question mark then as much as a that should excite you that it can change and be moldable and adaptable. Uh, I asked this to both Greg and to Robert earlier this week. So I want to get your, your thoughts on this. Uh, How do you foresee this potential scheme impacting? We'll say the key shareholders of this Eagles offense from a skill position player standpoint, meaning Jalen Rager, Miles Sanders, Dallas Goddard. If you want to get to any of the other younger receivers, you know, the, the high towers, the Fulgums, the Boston Scots of the world, you know, the Zach Gertz's of the world. How do you envision this offense impacting uh, namely those first three guys? Yeah. You know, that's a really good question. Um, I think I go back to Jonathan Taylor, New Jersey native going on the radio last week with our good buddy, Ike Reese. And, you know, he had an opportunity to say, Hey, Jonathan, what's the style of offense that Sirianni, you know, preached out there and he kind of giggled and just said run the ball man and that was their approach heading into the offseason last year with taking a big burly between the tackles runner and Jonathan Taylor a volume back and then the way Jonathan Taylor just said it's not that we want it to be this archaic offense it's a when you have are successful in the run game it softens up the defense for everything else and it gave us an identity it gave us a physicality identity that you knew teams had to stop the run against us first. And if we ran the ball early and successfully, everything else worked. And it's like a, it's like a boxer in just that, that mauler, that uh, guy going for the knockout, the knockout to the head becomes easier with the body blows. And you have to balance your attack. If you're all headshots, they're just going to prepare for headshots. If you're all body blows, it's easy to prepare for the body blows. But softening up one area to attack another area is what excites me the most. And I don't know if Miles Sanders is that volume back we're speaking of or if any of these receivers are, you know, in that same mold as Pascal or Pittman or T.Y. Hilton. But I think they're going to have an identity to hang their hat on moving forward. And it should soften up defenses on a week to week, drive to drive, down to down basis to execute other areas and to make the quarterback's job easier, the receiver's job easier, yardage easier, and hopefully points easier. Mm. Yeah, it's going to be really just fun to be able to just study this offense You know, when we get into the summer, into the fall. I hope everybody out there is excited as we are um, for breaking that, that group down. Now, uh, let's put a ribbon on this. We're going to take a look at next week. Now, we're going to obviously we're going to try and stay topical with a lot of the Eagles related hires and we'll see, you know, what the coordinators look like. Uh, we're recording this Tuesday afternoon, nothing official in terms of what that will look like, but with the Super Bowl being a week from Sunday, let's take this, this coming week and let's do a little bit of a look at this chiefs bucks matchup. Um, this is the two teams that played each other earlier this season back in week 12. And so I thought for next week's episode for everybody uh, that's home, this will actually be relatively easy to go uh, and be able to watch this on game pass. All we're going to do, is that Ben and I are going to sit down. We're going to watch all of the third downs 
on both sides of the ball. So we want to watch all of the Chiefs third downs and all of the Bucks third downs. Just have some takeaways, a little bit of a sample, give us a little bit of a preview, and we'll talk about the matchup uh, for the uh, for the Super Bowl here in a couple weeks. But uh, Ben, that'll be our homework for next week. This was uh, this was fun taking a look at this uh, this Colts pass game. Yeah, it'd be a fun exercise to see uh, two very experienced defensive coordinators and Todd yes. Bowles and Steve Spagnola going after Patrick Mahomes and Tom Brady and just seeing the schematic design before the plays even take place on third down. What are they trying to take away? What are they trying to attack? What is their intent defensively? And are they in a down and distance to do it? So I want to see particularly, are they in something manageable defensively to attack? Because both these offenses, if you're not in a, uh, if you keep these offenses on schedule, they will slice and dice you if you're on your heels as a defense. So I think getting into some favorable down and distances defensively is going to be the name of the game. So I want to see that last matchup who was in a uh, good situation. How about the uh, the Tom Brady Steve Spagnuolo rematch? You know, we were going back to uh, what Spags did to uh, Tom Brady back in the Super Bowls of Europe. Oh, I forgot about that. Yeah, I mean that's a huge uh, huge matchup in this game. Obviously, uh, you know, you get Mahomes and Brady going head to head and all that. It's a, you know Andy going back up against Tom Brady after the Super Bowl back in 04. A lot of really fun uh, rematches here uh, in this one, but we'll be breaking it all down uh, next week right here on the Eagle Eye in the Sky podcast, fueled by Gatorade. Great stuff from Ben, who you can follow on Twitter just like I do, at Ben Fennel underscore NFL. And while you're at it, I'm at Eagles XOs. That's where I post all the podcasts I'm a part of and all of our X's Nose content that we produce here at Eagles Entertainment. You know how much I appreciate everybody that promotes this podcast on social media. That's one way to support the show, but the best way is to go on Apple Podcasts or Stitcher, Leave us a rating and leave us a comment. I want to give a shout out today who's someone who just did exactly that. Maddie G underscore 28 left us a five-star review saying how much they love the show. Maddie G, appreciate the shout out. Thanks so much for the kind words and thanks for leaving that review and that comment. Thanks to all of you out there for your support of this show and all the rest of our podcasts here at Eagles Entertainment. All that being said, I think that'll do it. Another show in the books here on the Eagle Eye in the Sky podcast fueled by Gatorade. For everybody here at the Duffy House, I'm Fran Duffy. We'll talk to you next week. Raise a glass to that comforting feeling of an Eagles touchdown with the all-new Broaden Patterson Wine Collection created in partnership with Wink, featuring a Cabernet, a Rosé, and a Chardonnay. Broaden Patterson Wines are the perfect pairing for any occasion. Now you can bring the sweet taste of victory with you to a dinner with friends or to the tailgate with your game day crew. Purchase online today at philadelphiaeagles.com wine to stock up and have Broaden Patterson delivered right to your door. A portion of proceeds from every bottle benefit Eagles Autism Foundation.